Amen. We'll grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 76 as we read our text this morning. Psalm chapter 76. Who can stand before you? To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Selah. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains, full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you? When once your anger is roused, from the heavens you uttered judgment, the earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth, Selah. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, the remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. It is good to be with you um, in your homes this morning. And we are praying and planning and hoping towards that this is the last sort of Sunday of interaction that we have this way. And if you want more um, information on that, we rolled out sort of the three-phase vision process um, last week. You can go to our website, westsidepb.org. There's an informational video there. There's some gathering guidelines, all the information that you need. But what we have done um, in this strange, strange season is we have relied upon the Word of God. And what we've done is we have gone to the book of Psalms and we've said, how can I express the myriad of emotions that I feel in this season to God? How can I articulate these things? And that is what the book of Psalms are. Particularly what we've looked at is book three in the Psalms, which is actually sort of the exile Psalms where the people of God were not able to be in the house and place of worship. You see, the word of God is always timely because it's timeless. And so we've read these psalms and we've studied these psalms and we've looked at this in order to shape and express our emotions in this season. And um, the, the last time that Pastor Tyler picked us up was in a psalm of victory, which was just an incredible job to express what God has done in and through our lives. And then when you look at the comparison of Psalm 75 and Psalm 76, there's a great um, contrast, if you will. Psalm 75 speaks of the victory that God has done for us and the humility in which we live in light of that. And then Psalm 76 is, is almost this psalm of, of fear, really, if you will, which seems to be very appropriate. And when I was studying this psalm, I was just reminded um, the year was 1933. 
the, the U.S. economy was the lowest it had ever been in its history. Sound familiar, right? Um, Adolf Hitler was now chancellor over in Germany. And so you can imagine what's already getting ready to take place. And the United States elected the 32nd president of our history, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And it was March 4th, 1933, in which he gave his very famous address after being elected president of the United States. And he had a pulse on the people. He knew what was taking place. There was economic fear. There was fear of war. There was all types of things that were taking place. And the first words, very famous, you probably remember this from your schooling. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. You see, because Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew the power of fear and he knew that he had to address that and rally the, the, the people of the United States. And honestly, um, as strange as it may seem, the backdrop of Psalm 76 is very similar to that. We know that history records that the backdrop is found in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. And so what's going on? Because listen, the context is very important. We love the word of God here at Westside. And so context is king. We, this psalm is going to mean so much more to us when we know um, the world in which it was written in during that season. And so what we see is that Hezekiah is king of Israel. And Hezekiah is a good king. It literally says that in 2 Kings, that Hezekiah was a good guy. He was a good king. But the problem is, is a surrounding nation, Assyria, is literally coming to take Israel's lunch money. That's just the Jason paraphrase. But essentially, that's what's going on. We see that Assyria comes in and says to Hezekiah, um, we're going to go to war with you, and you better be ready. But you can sort of make this like Michael Corleone deal on the side, if you will. Like, you know, for that you can't refuse, it's right there on this, right? Okay. And so Hezekiah is faced with a serious situation. He has a messenger from Assyria come to him saying, we're coming to wage war unless you sell out and you worship our gods. And it's very interesting. There in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 19 through 21, the messenger says to Hezekiah, who do you trust? Where does this confidence that you have come from? Where is your trust in this season? And the scriptures teach us that Hezekiah's first response is that he turns to God in prayer. And God reassures him and says, I will deliver Israel. You do not need to fear Assyria. And then the rest of the chapter tells us that God takes out 185,000 Assyrians. And Israel doesn't have to do anything. That God fights the war and wins. And when we look at this backdrop, we see that Hezekiah is faced with two things. Essentially, Hezekiah is faced with the fear of man. What what am I to do in light of this? Look at what these people can do to me. It's the fear of man, and then it's Hezekiah's reliance on knowing God. You see, the fear of man is really the thrust of Psalm 76. And... um, One of my life verses is is Proverbs 29, 25. 
The fear of man lays a trap, but those who trust in God are safe. You see, um, I think fear of man is very relevant for us today, especially in today's political climate, in the world of social media, all of those things. Um, I think we highly underestimate the fear of man in our lives. And so the thrust of the psalm and the big idea that I want us to learn today is this. Knowing God, knowing God frees me from fearing man. Knowing God frees me from fearing man. And listen, today um, I'm preaching to myself. I've been very honest with you um, in my walk and in my journey with Jesus. And I am a deeply insecure individual. And probably only my wife knows how insecure I am. And so today, these words um, are, are very close to me today. Because this is something that I have to remind myself over and over again in my life. That, that knowing God frees me from fearing man. And there's just three quick principles that I want to run us through here. Um, it's know God. It's know that no one compares to God. And then know the fear of God. So the thrust is there's some things that we have to know. Hezekiah had to know some things whenever this great, powerful nation of Assyria and this messenger comes up and says, who do you trust? Because it's about to go down right now. And Hezekiah had to know, I know my God. So the first thing that we see is this. We have to know God. We have to know God. Look at these first um, three verses. In Judah, God is known. You're like, wow, the first point's no God, and then it says God is known. It's like the points come from the Bible. It's fascinating, right? His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem. His dwelling place is in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Selah. And Selah is a, is, is a musical term which means to, to pause and think about what was just said or sung. So basically what, what the writer of Psalm 76 is telling us is um, you have to know God. But it's very interesting to know and to see where God is known. Do you see um, the different names of the locations there in your Bible? Um, that God is known in Israel, in Judah, in Salem, and in Zion. That's the people of God. That's God's covenant people. So it's this idea that, that they know God and that God knows them as well. You see, because listen, um, maybe, maybe this will help. There's a profound difference in knowing about God and knowing God. And listen to me, Westside. Um, I believe in, in Butler County, if I could just be very bold in this moment, I believe in Butler County, everybody knows about God. Everybody knows about God in a town where there's Dollar Generals, Mexican restaurants, car dealerships, and churches on every corner. Everybody knows about God. My grandma went to first church such and such and this, that, and I remember on the candlelight, sir, everybody knows about God, but what my soul is weary about in the town in which this church dwells is that there are still people who don't know God. There's a profound difference in knowing about God and knowing God. You say, Jason, what's the difference? The difference is this in responding about what we know, 
in responding about that. The information that we have, what are we doing with it? I've said this time and time again. Listen, we are pro-Bible here at Westside, and we are pro-opening the Bible and studying it and learning hard truths. But at the end of the day, what are we doing with that? What What do our relationships look like? Are we more honest? Are we more transparent? Are we more like Jesus after the Bible study? Because if not, I just don't know what we've accomplished in light of that. There's a great theologian who's made a profound impact on my life. And he wrote a book called Knowing God, J.I. Packer. And the whole thrust of his book is this idea of, of knowing God and knowing about God. And he says these words, How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but very demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. Now, now that's a meaty quote, okay? And you're not just, that's not like a meme. You're not just going to kind of scroll past that, okay? But maybe uh, this illustration will be helpful. Um, our oldest, Roman, is, is becoming a very avid outdoorsman. And um, it's, it's been great. I'm, I'm having to learn about things in this season. And Roman wants to hunt and he wants to fish and he wants to be outside and he wants to catch lizards and he wants to do all of this stuff. And um, a while back, Roman was wanting to get a rabbit. And so he was wanting to, to, to hunt and to get a rabbit. So we did all the appropriate things and, and he finally got it. He finally got his rabbit, okay? And, you know, if you're offended by this, like, this is Butler County. I just don't know what to do, okay? All right, this is just our life around here, okay? And so Roman got his rabbit, and then was the moment. Like, we were going to skin it and have the hide, and then we were going to eat it and do all of that. We're not going to, you know, put anything to waste or anything like that. And then the moment came. Like, Roman got his rabbit, but it was like, it was time to skin it. It was, it was, it was game time, and he had seen these videos and we had done all this stuff, but it was, it was the moment where the information needed application. This is it. This is what you've wanted. So here we go. And it was a little bit awkward, you know, to, uh, doing that. And, oh, man, this is what's required of me. And, oh, this is what this is like. Um, I think what, what J.I. Packer is saying is, is that, that we have information Information is a good thing. It's a critical thing. That we have this information and we think that the key to the marriage is, 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 is information. And we think the key to maybe finding the right church is, is information and this and this and this. And listen, that is a part of it. But if there's ever been an equation that I've taught us here at Westside, it's this. Information plus application equals transformation. So it's not just having a meeting with your pastors because now there's been a crisis and emergency and oh no, I've got to meet with you and you need to pray. And now once you do that, you'll resolve all the conflict that happens in my life. Listen, it doesn't work that way, but rather it's information plus application equals the transformation. That's what it is to know God. You see, Hezekiah knew God. But there was this moment where where is your trust? Where is your trust? Because literally the enemy is right over the hill 
what are you going to do? And he took the information and he applied it in faith and trust through prayer and counsel with God. And we see the transformation that took place. So listen, knowing God frees me from fearing man. The first thing I have to do is I have to know God. And listen, I have to ask you this. I feel very prompted to ask you this. Do you know God? I'm not talking about your mom's God. I'm not talking about your grandma's God. If I were to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and were to ask you, what is God doing in your life in this season? How would you respond? In the relationship. First thing we have to do is we have to know God. The second thing is this. um, We have to know that no one compares to God. Nobody compares to God. Look at these verses there in verses 4 through 6. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. I love that. More majestic are you than the mountains full of prey. Can you picture the scene? That Hezekiah, as a leader of a nation, has a choice to make. That he looks up and he sees that literally they are surrounded by the enemies. But he, he says because of his knowledge of God and the application of that, God is more majestic than that. God is, God is greater than that. And I think there's a key insight here. One of the things that we know, I mean, literally biologically, what fear does Fear is our reaction, but, but fear forces us to focus on the immediate, right now. So whether it's um, a horrible accident or something that takes place, the fear that paralyzes some of our bodies is this. You have to focus on this now, and it literally shrinks our vision. So all we see sometimes is the problem in front of us. And for some of us who, who live a life of fear, it's just constantly the problem right there in front of us. But one of the things that's, that's very interesting about this and, and a truth that we see in Scripture is this, is that there's always a distinction, please don't miss this, always a distinction between the creation and the creator. That's one of the simple things that we're trying to teach our kids in the Jordan home, that there is the creation and that there is the creator. We see this in Romans chapter 1. That we always know that there are created things and then there is the God who created them. And so what we see happening here is that we have to know that there's a distinction. That God is greater than any fear that we face. And right now, maybe in this season in your life with this pandemic and the loss of a job and the fear of sickness, what happens is is our vision shrinks down and all we see is the crisis that's in front of us. And what this psalm, Psalm 76, exhorts us to do is to back up and to enlarge our vision and listen, not just see the problem, but see the God behind the problem. To see that God is so much more majestic And that nothing can compare. Because what fear does, fear puts that problem and God on the same playing field. And what we have to do is we have to back up. And we have to see that nothing compares to our God. But then this last part is crucial. It's not just know God. And it's not just know that nothing compares to God. 
but it's this. Um, we have to know the fear of God. You see, that's the key. We have to know the fear of God. Look in these verses in verses 7 through 12. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when your anger is aroused? From the heavens you utter judgment. The earth feared and was still. And then drop down, verse 11. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, verse 12. Who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. Listen, four times in those verses we are exhorted and told to fear God. Did you know that over 300 times in the Bible that we are told to fear God? To fear God. And this is something to just to be honest with you, I've always sort of struggled with in my walk. Because it's like God is love, but it's also at the same time like he is to be feared. And we also know that this scene is spoken about in the prophet Isaiah. And listen to this. I mean, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 13 is a word for the season that we are in. Listen to this. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord, the God of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Like, I, I don't see that on sweatshirts, bumper stickers, and coffee mugs, Okay. It's like, Isaiah, all right, let the Lord your God be your dread, okay? Why? What's the tension here? Well, number one, I, I'm not going to be able to resolve this and just go, oh, well, that's the Old Covenant, and that's in the Old... Um, actually, in the Old Testament, the Lord your God is gracious, kind. He's long-suffering. And then in Hebrews, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So, like, resolve that for me, Okay. What does this mean? Fearing God is viewing God rightly. So think of being in awe rather than being afraid, if you will. It's like our Father who art in heaven. It's God, my heavenly Father. But at the same time, it's the God that spoke the cosmos into existence. Like, Jesus isn't our homeboy here. Right? I mean, this is, this is big. This is much bigger. And, and what I've come to find out, it's this. Um, the tension is what we fear or who we fear, we grant authority to. So follow me with this. Who we fear or what we fear in our life, we tend to obey. Now follow me. Um, very simple illustration now right? Um, pandemic and viruses. And a way that you can prevent that is wash your hands. Well, I don't want that to happen, so I'm going to wash my hands, okay? That's, that's very elementary level of that. But now expand it out. What if you deal with the fear of man in your life in relationships? And so whether it's a boss or a coworker or a spouse or something, that you fear people either not liking you or not loving you, Now connect the line to how you behave in those relationships. Because what we fear, we we grant this authority to, this power over our life. And so really to narrow down and just maybe um, have some questions that that can help us in this. Um, 
here are a few questions that, that will maybe help us to see, man, I mean, like, do I have a fear of man problem? The first one is this. Um, do you say yes to things when you should say no to them? So if somebody asks you to do something or if there's something that's, you know, going on and somebody says, hey, can you do this? Are you quick to say yes when you should say no? Because you say yes, because maybe if I accomplish this, then maybe this person will, will like me or love me and there's acceptance there. The, the motivation of that is, is fear of rejection is what that is. The second question is this. Um, do you manipulate to avoid conflict or hard conversations? You see, most of the time, if we have a fear of man, um, we avoid any type of confrontation in our lives. And so what we'll do is we will try to manipulate or wiggle our way out of things in order to deal with that. And by the way, I know that, that some of you are listening to this and you're going, Psh, I ain't got no fear, man. I can just sit down and tell it like it is because it's just who I am. And you just got, okay, um, just real quick. Number one, you're mean. Okay, love you. Love you. You're mean. Second thing is this. Um, you're a deeply wounded individual. And you're just as afraid. You just show it differently. And until you admit that, and until you confess that fear, it will have a profound impact on your life. Because you'll push people away because you're afraid that you'll be hurt. So you hurt first. Because I need to control this. Because I'm afraid. The third question is this, um, do you obsess over affirmation and feedback from people? So maybe you accomplish something or maybe you do something, but then you become embittered because there was no good job or there was no this, that, or the other, right? Because what you're needing in that moment is that affirmation and that acceptance. And then the last question is this, um, do you feel anxiety, shame, or guilt after every conversation? So you just walk away from a group of people, just a normal, just a cup of coffee. We're just hanging out with friends. And then later on that night, you're replaying the conversation constantly going, oh my gosh, I should have said this and I did this and they're probably mad. They're never coming back over to our house again because I said this and I didn't realize that they had that. And then, right? You see, what's going on in those moments is um, you're putting human beings at a level in which only God should be. And, and here's, here's what I mean by this. I love what um, William Grinnell said. He said this, we fear man so much because we fear God so little. We fear man so much because we fear God so little. This is a real issue in some of our lives. And so how do we deal with this? How do we replace the fear of man with a healthy fear of God? And how does knowing God free us from, from fearing man? Well, Jesus actually speaks to this. Um, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples, the apostles, out for ministry. And in Matthew chapter 10, he tells them a number of things. He tells them, hey, this is what ministry is going to be like. This is what you need to do. Cast out demons. If you go into a town and they don't want you, just shake off the dust from your feet. He's preparing them for ministry. And then he says these words. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, 
and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Verse 31. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do you know what's interesting? Jesus says, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me and be a follower of mine, you're going to have to deal with persecution and also this idea of fear of man. But he makes the connection of fear of man and being known by God. When he says right there, fear not, therefore you are of more value than the sparrows. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus because Jesus gets down to the heart of the issue. It's like peeling back layers. And Jesus simply asks us a question. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of people? And if we're honest and we get down to the core of the issue, Hezekiah would say the same thing. It's am I known and am I loved? And here's what, and listen, please don't miss this. I can resist the fear of man. I can resist the fear of man by resting in the fact that I am known by God. I can resist the fear of man by resting in the fact that I am known by God. So what does this look like in my relationships? Now I don't have to fight for position of power or authority or this, that, and the other. Or I don't have to push people away in fear that they're going to hurt me and not return the same type of love. You see, the key to all of this is that knowing God and being known by God frees us from fearing man. If I could summarize it this way, I would summarize it like this. I told you in the beginning that um, I'm just a deeply insecure person in my life and primarily deeply insecure in what I'm doing right now. And only my wife probably knows um, how insecure of a person I am. What's interesting is I don't really care for a lot of other people's feedback as much as I do care about my wife's feedback. I mean, I could preach to 10,000 people. And when she says something like, good job, or good sermon, or that spoke to me, that's more valuable to me than, than a stadium full of people. And you know why? Because she fully knows me and fully loves me. What God is saying is, is that he desires a relationship with you like that. Maybe you don't know the love of God like Psalm 76 speaks of, and the power of not having to fear man because we know God, because maybe we haven't been fully honest. Maybe we haven't been fully honest and said, "Um, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, and I find myself swaying back and forth in my life. And Jesus says, you're more valuable. God knows that when a sparrow falls to the ground, and you're more valuable than that. Listen, We can resist the fear of man in our life by resting in the fact that we are known by God. I pray that this is true for us in this season filled with fear that we can be freed from that by knowing our God. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful for this opportunity to be encouraged and to be corrected by your word. And God, I pray for us. I pray for myself 
that in a season that's filled with so much fear in God, what, what Proverbs 29 says, that, that a fear of man is a trap, that that's never going to end well, that any decision that we do that's motivated out of, if I do this, then they will love me. God, that that's never going to end well. But rather, those who trust in the Lord are safe. And may we know that we don't have to obey you so that you will love us. But rather, our obedience is birthed out of a place because in Christ, you have showed us that you already love us. And that that love changes us. But may we at the same time be in awe of you. May we be in awe of how big you are and how capable and how powerful you are. And may we echo and say like Psalm 76 that our God is more majestic than even the mountains. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And we pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.